It's blue. It's vicious. It's evil. And it came from Arizona. At least two of these describe the popular shampoo brand Head & Shoulders. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the movie that inadvertently started me on my ongoing horror journey when I was just six years old. The movie that, despite being a sci-fi comedy, scared me more than any movie I've seen since. The movie that set the bar and scared me to death for years. When two community college professors stumble onto a meteor teeming with alien life, they must figure out a way to destroy the constantly evolving alien menace before it consumes their small Arizona town of Glen Canyon in the 2001 Ivan Reitman sci-fi comedy, Evolution. I'm Connor Gary. I'm Caleb J. And this is Songasm. Happy Wednesday and welcome to episode 130 of the Filmgasm podcast. I'm here with my oldest friend and badass co-host Caleb to attempt to unravel the mystery of why an admittedly goofy looking blue monkey from a sci-fi comedy changed me on an instinctual level. I have a constant uneasy feeling every time I see this fucker and I don't know why. Today, I hope to find out. So obviously, I'm alone in this ongoing battle. No one I've ever known from parents to friends to classmates to coworkers has never understood my fear of this fucker. Uh, and I know you're one of those because, yeah. <laughs> I am. I've seen this movie once, way back when it was on TV. I didn't know the name of it. It just popped up. I think it was at my grandma's. Watched it, didn't think anything of it. So, and then obviously watching again today, I am much older. I have seen more. So I was just like, oh, hey, it's some blue monkeys. Yeah, that's pretty much what everyone's reaction is. You know, my younger cousins when I was a kid were like, that's not scary, Connor. Why are you covering your eyes? And it's it's strange. I've, I, I've seen this movie a, a lot. It's become a favorite of mine specifically because it, you know, it got me. And uh, I have like a, a deep respect for this movie because of that, because it continues to get me. I watched it last night and, you know, I'm not like cowering behind the couch anymore. But I am just kind of having this like ugh, un- uneasy, disturbed feeling. And uh, it's, I'll tell the, the full story in a bit here. But um, yeah, before we get started, I have one update for a past episode. It's time for the rewind. This one updates episode 16, Child's Play. One of the ones I did solo back in the day. Definitely ripe for a redo. Right, anyway. I got the set. <laughs> I do not. I, I almost bought Child's Play on its own for like 10 bucks. And I was in the checkout line and I thought, I want to own all of these. And I put it back. And, That's uh, fair. That's fair. Yeah. They're all like, I think it's a pretty good batting average for this franchise. Really like Child's Play 3 is the only one I don't like. The rest of them are pretty good. You even like Seed of Chucky? You're telling me you can sit through Seed of Chucky? Seed of Chucky's hilarious if you just you know, uh, it, check it's, out. Yeah, it's so bad. It's good. I do. Get a kick out watching it. It's ridiculous, but like, what you know? I, I don't. I haven't seen it in years, but I remember thinking like, this is stupid, but I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah, I like I said, I got the set. I don't have the cool. I know they got the. It's yellow and it has like it looks like the uh, packaging for a good guy doll. Yeah, I got the set they did before that, which only had up. Yeah, it had up to curse because I have Colt. 
Uh, on its own. So I have the one that was up to curse, and I got Colt on its own. Um, nah, I want the child. I want Child's Play to Colt. I want that set. Well, I got it because at uh, Crypticon, first time I went to Crypticon with Josh, we did a trivia contest there, and we won because of me. Actually, I want to point this out. Let it be known so when he listens to this. I, I hope I get a text later. <laughs> Because of me, the last question they asked when we were like tied neck to neck with this other group was what year did Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 come out? And as you know, I'm a massive Rob Zombie fan. It's a very easy question, though. It is, but apparently in the whole world, he's not a lot of people, especially older people don't really keep track of his release dates. Me immediately turned around to Josh and was like, because he had a ride on the card. I was like, 2009, 2009, write down 2009. <laughs> and sure enough, that was the winning answer. Obviously, we got it. And yeah, they gave us this like goodie bag and they put Colt of Chucky and they said, just come out. Ah, yeah. So I was like, well, shit, I don't want the set that has Colt in it because I just now get Colt and Amazon was selling it for cheap, the other set. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll get that one. Fair enough. That's a valid, it's a valid reason. Um, well, anyway, my announcement is that uh, Fiona Dourif, daughter of franchise star Brad Dourif and star of Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky, is going to be reprising her role as Nika Pierce in the upcoming sci-fi TV series Chucky. The show is likely getting a late 2021, early 2022 debut, and I wish it was on any channel but sci-fi. Yeah, I agree. In the intro, but sci-fi. I have heard that apparently they got the green light to go like in an R-rated direction with the show. So maybe sci-fi might be pulling like an FX and they show it late at night. So I know FX will show stuff later in the night when they can put in like, they basically fuck and put in uh, violence and all that stuff. They might be going that route, but with all these streaming services out now, why can't I just go to one of the, like Shutter? Tell me Shutter doesn't want this. Yeah, I was just thinking that like this would be perfect for Shutter to get some like serious, you know, uh, exposure. Yeah, I mean, and show's doing great. I mean, they got Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, which I'm super pumped for season three coming out next month. I am four movies behind on season two, so I'm getting there. Uh, and they got the Creep Show series, which is coming actually out second season two comes out April 1st, very soon. So, I mean, they do have, like, they are got some good shows. They put Holliston on there, and I know Adam Green keeps some people to watch because hopefully Cheryl will green light a season three finally. Um, so they have shows, but yeah, it would have been awesome to add something with that kind of legacy yeah. to the slate as well. Because they, they have two legacy shows essentially with Joe Bob and Creep Shows that that would have been awesome. Well, I can't speak for like legacy, but I know that Chucky is definitely a lot more mainstream and I think would definitely bring more people to the service. Like people who aren't necessarily super deep horror buffs, but people who just like are kind of, you know, novices, but know and like Chucky. So mm-hmm. I just, I think it would have been great. I just, I don't, I don't see it surviving on sci-fi. It's a cool concept. It's awesome that Brad Dourif's coming back. No disrespect to Mark Hamill, but 2019's Child's Play could suck it. That movie was terrible. I wasn't, I wasn't a fan. I gave it a shot. I wasn't one of those guys that was like trashing it. Like, oh, you, I was like, look, let's just see. Like, let's see what they can do with a 2019, I think it was, 2019 yeah. Child's play. 
I wasn't into it, but hey, you know, they tried. Um, I'm much more excited for this show. I mean, you got Fiona Dorf now coming back, Brad Dorf. I think I heard Tune for Teeley is supposed to be coming. And then I saw that Devin Sawa, old school, like horror mainstay back in the day, is coming back. That I'm actually really excited for that. So there's really good casting. Like the casting is awesome for the show. 2019's Child's Play was such a weird remake. Like Chucky looked faker in that one than he did in the 80s movie. Um, the whole idea of like a disgruntled sweatshop worker disabling the safety features, like that's how we get Chucky. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, whoever wrote that thing was clearly off base, does not understand the sarcasm and just like douche attitude that makes Chucky so sarcastically adorable. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, just, I don't know, huge missed opportunity in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think honestly, Child's Play and Nightmare on Elm Street are the two hardest films, horror films to remake because their villains speak. So you have, and in both cases, you had, you know, Robert England for Freddy. He's so tied to that character. And you got Brad Dourif for Chucky. He's so tied to that character. That's hard to get off of that, especially for longtime fans. True. But I'd argue that in both cases, the actors who played new Chucky and new Freddy, Mark Hamill and uh, Jackie Earl Haley, were not at fault for the reasons those movies sucked, in my opinion. No, both of them were really good, in my opinion, and they were just surrounded by nothing else really being good. Yeah, totally. Totally. And one day, you know, both those films will get their own full episode, you know, the remakes. And we still have not done Elm Street, uh, the original one. We still have not touched Freddy, or Jason, for that matter, on this podcast. 130 in, we haven't gone there yet. Interesting. Technically, if you do Friday 13th 1, you're not touching Jason yet. You would have to be part 2. Nope. He's in the, he is in it. He pops up at the end. But at the end? But is, he the, is he the killer? No, but he's still in the movie. Oh, but he's not the killer. But he's still in the movie. Look, he's not the killer. You know, you know what happens when you say he's the killer? You die. Scream taught me that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough, but he's still in the movie. So evolution. Uh, most people don't. Killer. <laughs> most people don't even really know about this movie. Like it's a fairly lesser known film. It did not do particularly well. Didn't last. Everyone kind of everyone called it like it's Ghostbusters with aliens, which is very accurate. That's that's exactly what it is, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, to me, it's been what I can only describe as a worthy opponent. Um, a film that has challenged me more than anything else I've watched. And it's all because of one scene, which we're going to get to in great detail down the road. And you said you'd only seen this once prior to the podcast. Did it stick with you at all? Uh, no, I saw it. And I remember thinking when I saw it, I was like, oh, cool movie. And it was one of those like movies where like, I remember you mentioning me going, oh yeah, I did watch that on TV as a kid. I think I know what he's talking about. But didn't really stick. Not because it was bad. It just wasn't a thing that grabbed a hold of me as a kid. And then I never really bothered to watch it later. Yeah, it's um, it was a film that haunted me for years. I saw it, you know, I saw it at the movies, had my traumatic event. And then I just, I had the image of that thing just lingering in my head. I never, I didn't watch the movie again for years, except for one instance where I was at my aunt's house flipping through channels. And that scene 
was on TV and it all came back to me like two years later, I was really upset. Like something wants me to be scared. <laughs> and then I was at Walmart and I was looking at uh, through the $5 bin and I found like 98's Godzilla. And my mom said I could get two movies. So 98 Godzilla, cause I'm a child. And I look in there and I see evolution and I'm like, I remember you. <laughs> and I told my mom, she's like, no, because she remembers it too. She's had to deal with this shit just as much as I had. <laughs> so I eventually talked her into it and she's like, I know you're going to get scared. I'm like, no, I won't get scared. Confident, you know, eight or nine year old me. And I <laughs> we went home. I, I put it on and I, I couldn't even face it. The scene came on and I, I just shut my eyes, turned around and waited for it to be over. So I just heard the roar and the smacks. And I was just like, Ugh. and my mom's looking at me like, I told you you were going to get scared. You shouldn't have bought this movie. And that's still the DVD copy that I have today. <laughs> I haven't traded up. I just, I don't feel the need. <laughs> and I just sat on my couch and watched it. <laughs> yeah. My, my history with this film is incredibly unique. No one else, I don't think, has ever... I've, I've, I've looked, believe me. I've Googled, like, anyone else remember that blue monkey? Nothing. <laughs> oh. So Evolution was originally supposed to be a straight-up horror movie, which might explain why I found it so scary. It wasn't until David Diamond and David Weissman were brought in for script rewrites that it turned into a comedy, which original writer Don Jacoby was in favor of. So the original concept was straight up horror thriller. And I bet that monkey was left over from the original script. It had to be because that scene does take a quick like horror route and an otherwise really funny movie. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I totally do not blame my mom for taking me to a, you know, PG-13 sci-fi comedy from the director of Ghostbusters, which was one of my favorite movies as a kid and still is. So, of course, she's going to be like, oh, this is harmless. And then that happens, and I can blame no one, because no one saw that coming. <laughs> it's crazy. Honestly, the whole time I was watching, I was like, when are we going to get to this scene? Like, I was checking the time, like, I'm an hour in. What is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's nobody. Yeah, I'm alone. Nobody gets it. Evolution was directed by Ivan Reitman whose biggest claim to fame has been 1984's Ghostbusters. Some of his other films include Ghostbusters 2, Meatballs, Stripes, Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Dave, Junior, My Super Ex-Girlfriend, and No Strings Attached. The guy's been working consistently since the 80s, delivering fairly decent comedies. Um, his son, Jason Reitman, set to direct the upcoming Ghostbusters Afterlife, keeping it in the family. True. I was going to say, I do love Kindergarten Cop a lot. Kindergarten Cop yeah. is great. I was like, that's a child. Now, that's one from my childhood that, yes, I remember very fondly. I used to watch it all the time. <laughs> that movie's aged really well. It's, it's really cute. It's funny. It's endearing. It's, a, it's, like, it's great. Yeah, it's an awesome movie. Who would have thought pairing, like, the at the time, the world's greatest action star <laughs> with kindergartners for laughs would equal such great such greatness i read somewhere that like a few years ago i think like 2010 was the like 30th anniversary of this movie 
So he Arnold went and like hung out with the kids who were now like in their 30s and like did a photo op and stuff and like some reminiscing. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's neat. <laughs> that's a great movie. Um, Arnold's comedy movies were pretty good. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Twins, but I, Jingle All the Way is one of my all-time favorite comedies. Yeah, uh, I would have to rewatch Twins. It's been a while since I've seen it. No. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. Like, Kinder Cobb and Jingle All the Way were two big ones of his uh, that I watched as a kid. I think that's actually how I got into Schwarzenegger because obviously when you're a kid, my dad, as much as he loves him, mm-hmm. can't watch the 80s stuff because, you know, violent. Yeah. So they're like, well, luckily Schwarzenegger did these 90s comedies that were meant for families, and I was able to watch those. And then as I got older, my dad was able to introduce me to his 80s action stuff with that knowledge of like, oh, if you like him in this, you should check out this stuff that he got famous for. Same. Yeah, I, I grew up with Jingle All the Way. Um, my mom had Junior on tape. I watched that a couple times. You ever see that one? No, I've heard of it. I haven't seen that one. It's odd. <laughs> it's, you know, Arnold's a pregnant man. That's that's the movie. <laughs> and um, from there, I remember I'm trying to trace this back. I know I watched Terminator 2 when I was like 13. Uh, we were visiting my uncle in Austin and he put it on and I was like, this is awesome. I'd never seen Terminator, so I don't know what the hell's going on, but this is cool. And uh, soon after that, I watched Predator and I just have been, you know, Conan the Barbarian and True Lies and just been going through everything. There's still a few. Like, I've never seen Commando. Still got to watch that one. I've seen Commando, dude. It's a, it is everything 80s action in a movie that is Commando. That's what I've heard. The, the violence, the one-liners, Schwarzenegger's in peak top physical shape. <laughs> it is, it's an awesome movie. So, yeah, definitely check that one out kick ass uh ivan reitman though ghostbusters a film i've i've been saving on this podcast it's you know it's ghostbusters it's one of the most iconic films of all time it's gonna be done here (laughs) just i'm waiting for them honestly i'm waiting for ghostbusters afterlife to get a firm release date when is that supposed to come out i i haven't heard anything since i left and they moved release dates let me find out because it's been it's changed like several times in the past couple months. Let me let me find out. I know it's this year still. Um, current release date is uh, November eleventh. Damn! All right. Yeah. So with any luck, we'll be doing Ghostbusters in November. <laughs> yes. If I'll not, look. if it gets pushed, which it. It may be. Uh, we'll do it then. But I'm not doing Ghostbusters on this podcast until Ghostbusters Afterlife comes out. Just like we haven't done Candyman yet either. I'm timing this shit. It's my whole plan. COVID fucked all that up. I'm not letting it win. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you know what? We're getting the new Saw movie, and I am super excited for that. So, yeah, new trailer dropped earlier today. I just the first thing I watched this morning, along with the Rick and Morty season five trailer. Yeah, that was great. It was a good day. <laughs> I know I woke up. I woke up. I was like, "Oh shit!" New uh, Saw trailer. And then I saw they were like Rick and Morty season five. I was like, "Wait a minute!" Because I know like the fan things always like to fuck with you. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, that's legit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
that's going to be great. Uh, what do you think of Ghostbusters 2? I like it. Um, I don't hate it like a lot of – I know a lot of fans hate it. Um, I don't hate it. I think it has a lot of good moments, but there's a bit of stillness to it. It almost does seem at times like they, they're not as into it as they are the first one. That's true. That's very true because they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> or at least Bill Murray wasn't. It, yeah, it, it shows. I still like it. I think the villain's really cool in it. And I think there's a lot of good funny moments still, but I mean, it's yeah, obviously it's not as great as the first movie. Yeah. But that's, you know, those are tough shoes to wear. I mean, that's, that's a big movie to live up to. And uh, I like Ghostbusters two for what it is. It's entertaining. Like it's for me, it's a solid double feature. Yeah. I like, I like watching both of those and you know, it, it's better than saying through the uh, 2016 one. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to. I, I can't. I'll, this will be a three-hour episode if I start talking about that. Why <laughs> about to tap into something else without knowing? <laughs> I hate that movie so much. Um, I just hate it when they remake my favorites. You know, it's it's it hurts. It stings. I yeah, I hate when. And this is like this movie is a big victim of what I really hate with Hollywood is when they overcorrect with the diversity thing and they do it just to do it, not to necessarily tell you a good story or plot or anything. Yeah. And that was a case that there, those, it seemed like there was no actual story that want, they want to tell just, Hey, Ghostbusters, but females this time. Yeah. Or, hey, where's the comedy? Where's the characters? Where's the story? Like, I want all that too. That's all I want. Like the, you know, the, I think the worst thing about the movie is that all four of those actresses are hilarious. They just got a shitty script to work with and ended up making this, you know, dumpster fire that's just unwatchable. Yeah, it's it blows my mind because every I've seen them in all sorts of stuff like Bridesmaids or The Heat, and yeah. they they make me laugh. They're hilarious uh, comedians. But then that movie, I was like, where's that fucking comedy? I know you guys got. Yeah. You know what? What pissed me off was when Paul Feig came out and said that he wasn't really a fan of Ghostbusters and didn't really like the movie, like the first one. I'm like, why are you fucking here? <laughs> it's like it's like when some of those early video game movies and they're like, well, the director's like, I don't really like the game, play video games, I don't really play the game. I'm like, then why are you directing this? Yeah, it's why are you attached? Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Ivan Reitman. I think he's got a decent batting average. I like him as a filmmaker. And he was straight up remaking Ghostbusters with Aliens with this with Evolution, but I don't care. It works. It works honestly for the most part. Yeah, it does. I mean, they all four of the of the characters here are like have Ghostbusters counterparts, you know. Duchovny to me is Venkman. Uh Orlando Jones is Ray. Uh Sean William Scott is Winston. And Julianne Moore is Egon. Like, yeah. to me, that's, yeah, it, it works. <laughs> it does. Like I said, I know I put it in my review for a movie that's like really packaged for like the whole family can watch this. There's a lot of like sexual humor and Indiana spread throughout the entire film. I was like, huh, a lot of moments. I, well, I, I know it's my new thing to pick, but I noticed I'm like, it's, I think it's just because they package it so much for families that when every time it popped up, I was like, 
you know someone's like two-year-olds watching this right like when orlando jones is talking to his like his hot student and she's like so how's it look and he just looks right at her and goes it's tight but not, but not too tight like it's the innuendo is pretty goddamn obvious and yeah. i didn't know you know i didn't notice any of that as a kid but now it's all i see yeah or like when uh julian Moore falls down and it plays that music and they're just staring i'm like look guys i get it this is probably not too long after boogie nights but come on <laughs> jesus tell me tell me if you think this makes me a bad person i so i eventually like i'd like to have kids someday and I'm tempted to show them this movie when they're young, just to see if it's just me or if I, it really is the movie that's going to fuck them up. I think you should, mainly because I kind of want to be there myself. When you do it, I want to be there because I would laugh so hard and bust your balls for life if they did not get scared. <laughs> if I'm still... Th- like. God, I hope that I'm hoping like doing this podcast that this kind of at least partly goes away, but it's been 20 years, probably not going away. I think this is just who I am now. (laughs) And in all fairness, you're not a bad person because sometimes I sit down and look at my collection and go, God, why am I ever, if I have kids, what time am I going to show them? All right, guys, let's watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre because your dad doesn't have shit else for you to watch. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm wondering about, about, you know, what's the appropriate age to show your kids Hellraiser? Probably not, you know, 11 or 12, which is when I watched it. Right. Right <laughs> when they hit puberty, so you can confuse the shit out of them. Oh, my God. No, 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 no. I do, I, not, I do not want them connecting the dots there. I'm doing it. It's a plan now. <laughs> Holy shit. Good luck with your bondage kids. <laughs> I'm just uh, let's talk about the cast. We got David Duchovny as Ira Kane, a disgraced scientist looking for a meal ticket. Duchovny is known for his awesome portrayal of FBI agent Fox Mulder on the X-Files, for which he appeared in 191 episodes, two movies, and two video games. Uh, he also played sexaholic writer Hank Moody on seven seasons of Californication. I have watched the entirety of both of these shows, and Californication is a tremendous waste of time (laughs) just want to get that out of the way uh no character development nobody learns anything every episode is exactly the same and the final season is dog shit (laughs) so don't watch californication god it's like a therapy session right now on this episode (laughs) all this stuff uh I have not watched Californication. I have seen all of X-Files. As you know, I, I binged the shit out of X-Files. Um, I love, I mean, like everyone else, I love him in X-Files. He's awesome. I think he should do, I do like him also in comedies. I actually think he's a very underused comedic actor because he is really funny when he gets to be in them. And I think I put in my notes was like, David, I think I put like David Duchovny in a comedy equals always a win. And it's evident here too. Like he's hilarious. He he does not work as much as like I thought he did. He really doesn't do a lot. Like he did a lot of TV, but he has only been in a handful of films. He's too busy finding a sex addiction addiction, apparently. Yeah. You know what's funny? 
Mulder and Hank Moody from Californication, both sex addicts. <laughs> I mean, Mulder's always, you know, going into porno theaters and Hank Moody is fucking somebody in every episode. While at the same time trying to get back with his ex-wife who he claims to love, but he is like sleeping with somebody else, including an underage girl in every fucking episode. They're like, they're, the first half of the show is about his weird relationship with his ex-wife's current husband's daughter. It's a weird show. <laughs> the was X-Files is very subtle. If I, from what I recall about Mulder sex addiction, mm-hmm. it's just like a choke here and there. Yeah. Californication just crashes through that and goes for in your face overtness with it. Network versus uh, cable <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Like every episode of, you know, California, uh, Californication, it's like, wait a minute. I know that porn star, like every other episode. And like, it never does anything for the show. It's just like, oh, time for him to fuck. And then we get like a little bit of story. Okay, you know what? I'll, I'll kind of rant here. I want to bring this up. You mentioned how it has like sex in almost every episode. It, it bugs me to this day how people were bitching about Game of Thrones having so much sex. When I finally watched Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. and I'm like, has no one watched any of the other shows that any of the other movie channels do? Like, showtime yeah. with shameless and californication or anything on stars with like spartacus i'm like honestly game of thrones I, I i really want people to rewatch before they got mad at it in season eight there's not nearly as much sex as people claim there is like it's maybe in a couple of episodes a season and then i think by season five or six they just didn't even put it in there yeah, and you know, I got no problem with sex. I like sex. To me, it's just Californication used it in place of, of story. Like they tried to distract you with it. And like the character of Hank Moody is the same dude from like, in the pilot that he is in the finale. And I like character development. I like somewhere to, you know, I like to know I'm going somewhere. And I I went nowhere with that show. Yeah. Well, and that and that's what I'm saying. People bitch about it in Game of Thrones, but it didn't really overtake the story. But no one says anything when it comes to shows like Shameless or Californication, where it sounds like it just overtook. Well, that's because that's because Game of Thrones had a significantly larger cultural impact than either of those shows. This thing took over the world, so people were bitching about it because that's what people like to do. (laughs) Which I didn't get until you know I got to season eight, and I was like, "Ooh, I see why people are complaining." Yeah, that was rough. The coffee, the coffee cup, is what finally killed it for me i'm like really <laughs> that was the line once they forgot to take out a starbucks cup well at first like up to that point i was thinking like they can they can salvage it surely there's a plan they're not going to kill the night king in the middle of the final season right they're not going to do that i thought it was going to be like oh brand's possessed by him or something and i'm like then i saw the coffee cup and i'm like no they really have stopped giving a shit <laughs> no no brand's not possessed he's the king even though he refused to be it for like eight seasons yeah but he has obviously he has the best story he's the three-eyed raven <sighs> the amount of times he says that i want that's another thing take a shot for how many times he says that brand how do you know this i'm the three-eyed raven i mean you could take a shot from the amount of storylines that were just abandoned and you'd be dead halfway through the season <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I got a fresh bottle of whiskey in the cabinet. (laughs) 
But Duchovny, let's talk Moeller for a minute. It's like, we, we got the negative shit out. Let's talk about Moeller. Because we're both huge X-Files fans. Yes. And Moeller is one of my favorite TV characters of all time because he's always right. And, but it's what he's right about is so outrageous that he never has any support. I love that so much. Every episode he's like, it's an alien or it's a ghost or it's a mute. It's a liver eating mutant. It's a fluke man. And everyone's like, shut the fuck up Mulder. And then it turns out to be that. And then it disappears. (laughs) And then he's like, I was right. And Scully's like, perhaps, but there's no evidence. It, It was a formula that worked. And it, the more I watch, I've, I've, re- I've rewatched the X Files like six times now, and it just gets it just gets funnier. Like seeing those moments of Mulder be like, "Here's the evidence I've been searching for my whole life." Scully walks in the room, and suddenly, poof, it's gone. Ah, <laughs> oh, beautiful. The best part is when they would do the few comedic shows that would, or the few comedic episodes that would play into that later, and they would just have a ball with that on a comedic side of like, yeah, look how it looks. Like uh, the season five episode when they have to relate the story about the vampire kid. Yeah. And you get like how Scully sees the entire thing and then how Motor saw it. That one, I like the one where they're trapped in the haunted house on Christmas Eve. Oh, that's a good episode. It was Ed Asner and somebody else. I don't remember who the, who the female ghost was. Let me look that up real quick. Um, X-Files. Ghost Christmas Haunted House. God, I love Google. How the Ghost Stole Christmas. <laughs> it was. Um, bu- 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 Lily Tomlin. Oh, okay, yeah. And I mean, that is very clearly a haunting. Scully sees her own corpse <laughs> decomposed. She is possessed into thinking she's killed Mulder. But you know, they both make it out of there. They walk out because they beat the clock. And Scully never mentions that again. And Mulder never brings it up. That's the craziest part. Like, there's so many moments. I mean, the liver mutant was real. Scully was attacked by him. He, she saw him come out of his, her vent. That was the third episode. I mean, what does she need? <laughs> that, that's what's so funny to me, is that as the show went on, they got to a point where they stopped trying to like hide how she could possibly not believe. And they were like, uh, fuck it. And things would happen in front of her face. And she's still looking at more and be like, let's calm down. Don't be crazy. There's a scientific reason. And it's like, you just watch a monster attack you. What are you talking about? <laughs> in the, over the course of this show, Scully is abducted by aliens, has her, uh, womb removed, uh, is like gets infected with an alien virus that causes a being to grow inside of her that is neutralized by a vaccine. She sees a giant alien ship fly away from the Arctic she is trapped in, and she's still like not convinced. <laughs> I think it's just stubbornness at some point. Like she knows Mulder's right, but she knows that if she admits that, he's never going to shut up about it. No, no, you won't. It'll just keep bringing it up every Sunday. But it'll be like knowing Mulder. It'd be like a very subtle way too. They're just sitting on his like porch one day. He's like, "Hey, aliens are real. How's your day?" And then just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I can just picture him being like, you know, like remember when I was in the Terminator movies? It's always like you weren't in the Terminator movies. Oh yeah, just like there weren't aliens. <laughs> Fuck you, Mulder. Like just he would do that shit all day. Um, I love how in the later seasons after Duchovny left to pursue a film career, uh, <laughs> and um, they brought on Robert Patrick and Scully had to be the believer now, and they kind of did that, but she was so reluctant to be like, damn it, dog it, it's not a bat creature, but it might be a bat creature. And he's like, no, I'm tough as nails, ex-New York cop FBI agent. It's not a bat creature. And then he gets attacked by the bat creature. <laughs> uh, I have, as much as I like that show, I really have problems with season eight and nine. Because <laughs> you could tell- nine, Yes, season eight, I think is pretty good. I liked well they they lucked out with Robert Patrick I think yes um but because I I like him a lot but at the same time like that dynamic was still gone with Mulder not being there yeah and then no yeah season nine got I remember when I was binging it and I got season I was like okay this is an okay season but I can still get behind it and season nine because I remember like I was watching with my mom because season ten was coming out at the time. And she was like, we have to finish it so we can watch season 10. I was like, oh, okay. So I'm watching season 9, and it was so hard to sit through that. I was just like, oh, God, please, season 10. When I finally get to you, be better. Be better. Please be better. <laughs> it wasn't better. The standalones were good, but they had good standalones in that season. But then they did what they did with the overarching, convoluted alien plot but let's just be honest as much as i like x-files the alien plot is not great it's so easy to fix though like there was so they just kept building it up to be so much more convoluted than needed to be i mean in the first like four seasons it was an alien race is going to colonize they made a deal with the higher-ups in our government and they have there's a date it's going to happen but then they started doing like the alien war between the black oil and the bounty hunters and then the super soldiers and like what the fuck? And they tried to explain all of it in the finale, but they didn't. <laughs> what a mess. That's because the creator, I forget his name. Chris Carter. Chris Carter. I was going to say Sam Carter, but that's the singer for Architects. Different Carter. Uh, Chris Carter. <laughs> um, he seemed very adamant about two things in this show. One, I will not give you answers. And two... I will never confirm or deny if these two are in a relationship or not. Well, they they totally did towards the end. I mean, she's pregnant with his kid, his alien kid. Yes, but even then, they never straight up just say it. It's still just like assumed, and it's kind of aggravating. It's extreme, yeah. To me, the beauty of the X-Files was the Monster of the Week episodes, because those were always super creative. And we got to see, you know, demons, monsters, ghosts, serial killers, mutants, like all over the map. It went everywhere. There was a Bigfoot episode. Uh, yeah, that was it, one where Bruce Campbell played, uh, was it the devil? Yeah, that was yeah. a great episode. I do. That was a good episode. That's what I'm saying. Like, I like, so for me, X-Files shined when it was a standalone. Like all the standalones, I remember they shined. They were great. And then I remember, like, maybe after, like, four seasons two and three, when I started realizing that I'm not going to get any actual explanations on these aliens, that whenever we got to the alien episodes, it was just, like, all right, 
I'll just get through this episode so I can get into the. It was like, let me just get through this so I can get to the standalone. That's what I want. Like, <laughs> I don't want that. I want home for Christ's sakes. Ooh. Yeah, I was going to mention that at some point. You know it. You know, now that you're here, we can finally do Fight the Future on the podcast. Like, I've been waiting for that because you're the only X Files buff on the team, I think. I think uh, Josh likes it too. Oh, good. I don't know how big he is, too. I know he likes it. He was the one that encouraged me to bring the my book that I got signed by uh, the cigarette smoking man and Skinner at Crypticon. Ah, you lucky bastard. That's cool. The whole thing with Smoking Man, I thought he was one of the best villains, but again, that dude cheated death way too many times. Like, you know, shot through the chest, alive. Falls down the stairs with terminal cancer, alive. Rocket to the face, alive. <laughs> like, what the... Is it... They should have just revealed, like, he's not human. Uh, yeah, I remember. I remember when I saw the the season ten. That was like a big thing. Like they kept it hidden until the episode came out. Well, no, they didn't. That's right. They. I remember reading all of them really discussing that he had got cast. Yeah. And then when I saw him, I remember starting going, "How? How? I'm not." And then I remember the show played it for like, oh, "He's back," and I'm like, "I don't care. How's he back?" <laughs> yeah, just complete like the rabbit hole had so many forks in the road it just it was impossible to navigate yeah and then god don't even get me started on how they fucking ended skinner's arc in season 11 dear god you mean when they just run his ass over (laughs) (laughs) run his ass over and then just have scully be like oh by the way i'm pregnant like what and then asking chris carter so are we gonna get a new season nope this is actually it this time that's how you're gonna end the x-files oh to me, 10 and 11 don't exist. 1 to 9 is the run of the show. Yeah. Like I said, I'll defend the standalones in 10 and 11 because the standalones were still very strong in those seasons. But God, again, having to sit through those alien episodes. I liked the Mandela Effect episode. I thought that was hilarious. Just like a third agent who's like, oh, I've been here since the beginning. And then the end, Skinner's like, hey, where's that guy? He's always with you guys. <laughs> that was cute. I liked that. Yeah, like I said, the if I will if I'll say anything about those two seasons, Duchovny and Anderson still had a lot of chemistry together, and the standalones were still like the quality I expected from the show. Mm-hmm. To me, it's it still felt like tired and like a retread. Like they both didn't want to do this. It just felt like they needed to do it for money. I mean, they both like. I mean. At the time, I feel like they both didn't have much going on. I think Julian Anderson, now she's on the crown. I think she won a globe for that. But mm-hmm. at the time, it was just kind of like, we both need something, so let's do this X-Files reboot. It, just, it didn't have the heart or the tone of the classic show. I just I felt like I was watching like a fan-made sequel. Yeah, but they kept the theme song in. Yeah, they did. You can't tell me you didn't get a little excited when you first heard that theme song. I got really excited because I thought I'm in for a treat, and then the episodes happen, and I'm like, no. <laughs> Damn it. You expected Chris Carter to give you a satisfactory answer to the alien storyline for the past nine seasons and two movies? 
Well, no, I guess not. I was, but I was not expecting a forget what you think you know. This is the real conspiracy. Everything you've done in the past nine seasons has been complete bullshit and a waste of time because you weren't investigating what's really going on. That hurt. <laughs> anyway. With that said, great show. I know it sounds like we're dogging in, but it really is a great show. Just the X-Files is one of my top five favorite TV shows of all time, without a doubt. Yeah, I love it. I remember I, I literally... I binged Buffy and Angel and then X-Files. So I just went through the gamut of like 90 shows that basically inspired Supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> Buffy and Angel also firm favorites of mine. Oh, yeah. more. I'll give a little bit more of my love to Buffy than Angel. Angel was good, but it really got dodgy in those last two seasons. I think Angel has better character development. I think that you know, the character of Angel is, I think, a lot more interesting than Buffy because he's, you know, the most evil vampire in the world, cursed with a soul. That's that's a great idea. Uh-oh, vampire with a shotgun. <laughs> and Angelus's return was so cool in, in Angel. The whole thing with Faith. Jesus Christ, that was awesome. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I've never been the biggest, like, because my mom, she loves, a, she loved that show Bones that, uh, David Boreanaz is in. Yeah. I was never really a big fan as far as like in that show. I was like, he's kind of a dick in the show. And then when I watched Buffy, I was like, oh shit, he's in this. A young him. Wow. Okay. And I like, and on Angel, yeah, I really felt like he was able to stretch the character a lot more. And I did like that, how he could be the really good Angel character <laughs> and then be Angelus. And he brought it every time it was Angelus. I loved it when Angelus was on. I was like, yes. <laughs> well that and i love how you know cordelia got to be redeemed as a hero and um like wesley got to be a badass uh spike got to be a ghost like there was just i, yeah. I love that show there, I, there was a lot of great moments like one of my favorites is when like uh, wesley's in the hospital and uh angel goes in there and i forget what i forget what he did to piss him off and he's like yeah and he just says his line to him and then just fucking stuffs the pillow over his face. And I was just like, oh my God. It was, um, oh, yeah. Uh, Wesley read a prophecy that Angel's son was going to kill him. So he gave the baby to Holtz, who went through the portal. Angel lost his son. And yeah, that scene where he's like, I want you to know this is not Angelus talking. This is Angel. I'm perfectly in control of myself. And he just <laughs> tries to smother him. That was so cold. Yeah, mm. that, was a, that was a fucking moment. I went, oh my God. Yeah, that was one of my favorites. And obviously the, the line I referenced earlier, that's just, that seems awesome. He has the shotgun. Oh, bad guy with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was cool. I thought it was neat when they, um, when Wesley goes to talk to Faith in prison. Faith's whole redemption arc is one of my favorite things about Angel. And yeah. um, he talks to her and she's like, you know, I can bust out anytime I want, but I'm not. I'm here because I want to be. And nothing you can say is going to get me out of here. And he, he just goes, Angelus is back. And she immediately is like, stand back and jumps out. And it's like, when do we start? Like, let's go get him. God, I don't remember how we got here, but I fucking love talking about these shows. <laughs> I love that show. If there's any, for all these damn reunions, they like to do like the Friends reunion. All right. 
give me an give me a Buffy reunion or an Angel reunion. I would love that. We got an X Files revival series. Give me a return of the Buffy characters. They were gonna do a Buffy reboot, but with Joss Whedon's career the way it is now, I don't think that's ever happening. No, and what I was hearing about it, I wasn't super excited. Like they weren't saying a lot to make me go, "Oh, sweet." I was kind of like, "Oh, yeah." Well, also, I mean, how do you do Spike and Angel now? I mean, they're both in their fifties. There's no way they would look believable as vampires anymore. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know what? It was it it was cool seeing um, Spike and Cordelia in Supernatural as a couple. Uh, I remember that. That was nice. That was nice. <laughs> yeah, that was those four shows just represent like entertainment and great storytelling to me. So I, I all, all of them are great. Yeah. Agreed. Well, that, well that's David Duchovny. <laughs> I knew this episode was going to lead to some crazy tangents. <laughs> uh, I'm that tangent, but I'm proud of it. Hell yeah. Orlando Jones is Harry Block, geology teacher and volleyball coach. Jones has appeared in such films as The Time Machine, Office Space, The Replacements, and Magnolia. He had a recurring role in the TV series Sleepy Hollow for 31 episodes and also appeared the TV series American Gods. And he was kind of everywhere in the early 2000s and then just kind of vanished. Like, what do you think happened to Orlando Jones? I I don't know. I I was about to say maybe he was a dick on set, but he's still doing stuff. And usually if you're a dick, you just stop doing stuff because someone wants to work with you. I did hear Uh, he had like some issues with the Sleepy Hollow people. That's why he ended up leaving that show maybe he's difficult to work with i don't know i don't know i do remember when i saw him i was like oh hey i've seen him in some stuff and i was like oh shit doing all this stuff i've seen yeah. like it took me a minute to register um yeah i don't i don't know um i didn't even know he was in sleepy hollow i remember my my mom loved that show i'd never watched it i watched the pilot and i thought this is weird and like i guess the headless horseman was like the one of the horsemen of the apocalypse or something and Ichabod Crane got sucked through time and ends up in modern day Sleepy Hollow. So it's like a Some, cop it's a procedural cop show with a fantasy twinge to it. I think yeah, I think that's why I didn't get into it. I don't it takes a lot for me to really get behind a procedural type show. Yeah. Um I just get really bored with them. Not yeah. saying I hate either some I watch. Um so I remember when it did that, I was like, uh, especially when a horror show does it, because I'm like, okay, of all things you can do with a horror TV show, especially when you look at things like The Haunting of Hill House, just for example, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, and then you say, you know, you got that show, which really explores the characters and does all this really cool storytelling techniques and whatnot. And then you got, hey, we have this horror ideal update on Sleepy Hollow, but police procedural modern day. And I'm like, really? That's what you want to do with it? I don't get like how are cop shows and medical shows still being developed? What can you possibly bring to the table? Like who's watching these? You know that show Blue Bloods with Tom Selleck is in its like 11th season. It's still going. Yeah. Who, who are these for? Who is watching this stuff? I don't get it. Like this is not 1997. There are options now. Apparently, people really like Tom Selleck and Donnie Rawberg, unless he's not on the show anymore. But last I checked, he was on the show. I don't. I didn't. I don't check. 
I don't know what Blue Bloods is about. I just know it's a cop show that's in its like eleventh season. I I just remember seeing him on. I remember seeing Donnie Wahlberg on the advertisements for it mainly because I had just seen like the Saw movies with him in it, and I like him in Saw two through four. Yeah, me too. I love him in the Sixth Sense. Yeah, underrated Robert brother. Yeah, I think you know. He and Mark are on even ground to me. I think they're both kind of not great, but decent when it counts. Underrated in performances. I don't, I'm not saying like person. <laughs> yeah, of course. I know. I'm, I'm not eating the wall burger. I just think, you know, he's decent. Yeah. Uh, Sean William Scott plays Wayne Gray, aspiring firefight- firefighter. Scott is known mostly for his role as Steve Stifler in the American Pie films. Uh, some of his other films include Goon, Role Models, The Rundown, Bulletproof Monk, and Final Destination. Another guy, huge in the early 2000s, disappears. I, now, him I don't understand because I've, from what I've heard, he's not hard to work with on set. A lot of people say he's a generally like pretty nice guy. He seems like it. He seems like a funny dude who's delivers. Like everything I've seen him in, I've thought he's fucking great. Oh, I, I love him. I've always found him to be, it, it actually makes me sad I don't see him as often. So, because I think he's underappreciated. I, he cracks me up in everything I've seen him in. Um, Finally watched the American Pie films, and holy shit, were they great. Yeah. He's funny as fucking those. Role models? I love him with Paul Rudd and role models. Have you ever seen Bulletproof Monk? No. It's an oddball film, but it's really interesting. It's Sean William Scott and Chow Yun-Fat. And Chow Yun-Fat is this ageless monk who has taken on the responsibility of this scroll that that will give anyone who reads it immortality and like superpowers and this nazi has been after him since the 40s and the nazi's carl roden uh from hellboy and giant fat is supposed to find a uh, successor every 60 years someone who's pure of heart a good fighter and a good person and he gets pickpocketed by sean william scott in new york city and uh over the course of the film they bond and you know he teaches Sean William Scott how to fight. And it's a it's a goofy movie, but it, it I think it's decent. Yeah, like, like I said, I I like him. I think I had read somewhere that he went to like some rehab or something like that to work on himself. So he yeah, may have yeah. just had like maybe some personal issues. Could be that he had to work out on. And if that's the case, I do hope eventually he's one of those actors that does like a comeback and we start seeing him more stuff because. I liked him. I really liked him and everything I saw in the early 2000s. He's my favorite character in Evolution. He's, you know, just the guy who's in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's had his entire life uprooted by this fucking alien. Oh, and, his- uh, like, he's got the great, like the best lines. Like my favorite one is like at the end when they have the, the, the uh, revelation that fire causes these things to grow and the, ca- the music stings and it pauses and John William Scott turns to the camera and just goes, you better call that Dick General. <laughs> like it's just so it's the delivery is perfect <laughs> yeah he he to me is such a comedic talent like his whole opening scene in this movie when he's like she's gonna make it <laughs> i can save her <laughs> it's, it's great it's great god i think you know what one of my favorite lines from him is on this movie it's when it was in role models with uh him and pro red and uh jenny lynch she's like you know what i eat for breakfast cocaine you know what i have for lunch cocaine then those two what do you have for dinner is it cocaine (laughs) (laughs) 
I haven't seen role models in years. Yeah, I gotta watch that movie again. It was funny. Such a funny movie. <laughs> Remember uh, Country Mac? Oh, oh, he! I love him as Country Mac. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the best. Doesn't he die in like a minor fender bender? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Uh, um, Oscar winner Julianne Moore plays Dr. Allison Reed, accident-prone CDC deputy director. Moore won her Oscar for her performance in 2014's Still Alice and has been nominated for her performances in Boogie Nights, The End of the Affair, Far From Heaven, and The Hours. Uh, weird that she's in this. Like, she seems too... Like, like most of the budget went to her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because this is not too long after doing stuff like uh, Boogie Nights and whatnot, I think. This was the same year as Hannibal. Okay, yeah. So she's pretty, like, fresh off, like, Oscar-caliber type movies. Yeah. And then she decides to do this. I mean, I'll give her credit. She commits. Like, she's really good in this movie. Yeah, she's funny. She works, like, well with everybody. Uh, I just watched The Kids Are All Right with uh, Julianne Moore. And she is just like fucking everybody in that movie. Like that movie is so uh, over the top with its sex scenes. I was not expecting that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's my most recent Julianne Moore film. I haven't uh, seen most of her Oscar nominated stuff. Actually, I've only seen uh, Boogie Nights. I haven't seen anything else she's done that's been Oscar. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember if these been Oscar, but I've seen her in Don John, which she was good in that. Um, and then uh, yeah, she was in Children of Men, yeah, yeah. I've seen her in Children of Men, which that's a fucking awesome movie. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I've seen her, I've seen her pop, pop up plenty of times. Obviously, there's Jurassic Park 2 or Lost World Jurassic Park, but yeah, I actually can't think of the most recent film I've seen her in. I I always kind of have my issues with it's not her. It's just the fact that it's not Jodie Foster in Hannibal. I'll always have that issue with that film. I think everybody does. And she's not bad. She's just not Jodie Foster. It, it's always weird when a main character gets recast. Yeah. It's just, it's a hard pill to swallow. I know CW's Batwoman is kind of having that issue right now because apparently Rubio's doesn't like commitment. Uh, so... <laughs> I think she almost broke her spine. I think that's why she left. Well, she also talks about how she wasn't prepared for the long workouts and stuff like that. I've literally have read comments that she said about like not being prepared for the commitment and workouts involved with a TV show. I'm like, then why did you sign on to play this character? She's the lead on a popular part of an ongoing universe TV series. How did, what's she expecting to work weekends? Like how does, how does that happen? That's the case. It's entirely on her. Yeah, and I'm sorry. The injury thing, I still don't... I don't want to see, hear her excuses when she, on the movie side of things, does things like Triple X 2 or 3 or whatever the hell the newest one was called and <laughs> John Wick 2. So she's doing action movies outside of that. I think there was a behind-the-scenes production snafu. I think something happened. Like... And they just didn't want to deal with her anymore, or she didn't want to deal with somebody. Somebody, there's a bad relationship. 
like there's the announcement and then there's what really happened. Yeah. So I don't know. It just sounds like somebody somewhere fucked up and now this show is going to be tanked. Oh yeah. I think I read that. Um, I don't know. I, I know it already got renewed for season three, but the ratings are even lower, which actually surprised me. It got renewed for season three. Who do you think is going to be the new main character in season three? Well, they recast <laughs> Kate Kane this time. So what they did was they have a new person that's God. not Kate Kane. And then I guess to try to salvage the ratings, they went, okay, we're going to bring the Kate Kane character back, but a new actress. And that's been cast. What I thought was kind of cold is that they photoshopped Ruby Rose out of the Justice League photo. <laughs> like that's cold. I mean, Batwoman's got a, got a seat on that council and they're just going to wipe that clean. Oof. Yeah. So I don't feel like many of the blood, bad bloods with her, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, but you know what I mean? Like right there, you're having that issue with that show. So like no matter what, when you recast a main character, yeah. you know, it, it's hard. It's not like when they recast Iron Man's friend and, you know, between one and two. That's a side character that people can live with. Worked with the Hulk. That is true. But Marvel's done a really interesting job of not fully accepting the Incredible Hulk as part of the MCU until more recently. And they brought William Hurt back. They're bringing Tim Roth back in the She-Hulk show. Which will be awesome because I like them as Abomination. And I like Tim Roth. I love Tim Roth. The whole recast thing, my mom calls it pulling a Darren because of uh, what happened on Bewitched. The character of Darren all of a sudden was a new actor. I think it was like Dick, Dick York and Dick Sargent. Uh, it was a new actor when the new season showed up and nobody addressed it. And you're supposed to believe that this is Darren now. So pulling a Darren means recasting a main character and not having it work. Uh, we'll see. Black Lightning just did that, actually. I mentioned that one. Apparently, the dude that played, one of the actresses that plays his daughter, mm-hmm. one of his two, I guess, even though season four is their last season, she still wanted to leave during season four. Oof. Yeah, she left after the first three or four episodes. And the whole plot line is that she died because of her power. She got dispersed in something. I can't remember exactly. And they do this machine to bring her back, but when she comes back, she looks completely different. (laughs) Because it's the new actress. Mm, I I don't have time for that anymore. I don't want to commit to a series that's not going to commit to itself. This is his final season, so I'll, I'll, I'll finish. So, moving on, Ted Levine plays General Russell Woodman, the asshole in charge of the alien operation. Levine is known in the horror community for his role as Buffalo Bill in The Silence of the Lambs, and he's one of my all-time favorite character actors. I particularly loved him as Captain Leland Stottlemyre on Monk. Remember Monk? Yeah, I used to watch it with my grandma. Me too. <laughs> that's a great show. It was really funny. My grandma loved it. I remember, like, when I came over, I could watch anything I wanted on TV when I came over. Like, I had control, but, man, if Monk was on, it was Caleb Hamula remote. Yes, grandma. And then she put it on Monk. Like, All right, we're going to watch Monk together. Yeah, it's it's a great show. It's the only procedural I've ever watched, really. Because mm-hmm. Tony Shalhoub is just so fantastic as Adrian Monk. The supporting cast is awesome. I love Ted Levine's always upset with him for something. And, uh, the whole idea of, you know, obsessive compulsiveness, like aiding and detecting and him being able to figure out the, like the most 
like with the most mundane evidence every time and the amount of guest stars they had like the the ending that actually paid off like monk was a great show yeah like i said i didn't i wasn't able to like watch it fully but yeah i did i remember seeing episodes quite a bit with my grandma the way my the way my grandparents watched tv was they would go to costco and buy box sets (laughs) so they would show up randomly with new seasons of monk and the X-Files and WKRP in Cincinnati and Northern Exposure and just what, whatever shows they were into, they would just go out and buy. They got tired of looking for it. And then, you know, streaming started happening and they, they stopped doing that. <laughs> but um, we have a lot of box sets just because my grandparents would just buy them on a whim. Yeah, we, we, have the whole, we have the whole Monk show, all eight seasons. <laughs> we have all six seasons of Third Rock from the Sun. Like we just, yeah, we have collections. God damn. Yeah. I think, the only shows, I think the only shows I got right now are Walking Dead and American Horror Story. I need to get Ash versus Evil Dead to complete my Evil Dead collection. I own all 10 seasons of Smallville, all seven seasons of Buffy, five seasons of Angel, uh, the complete Breaking Bad, all but season eight of Game of Thrones, uh, Batman the Animated Series, um, Seasons one to eight of The Walking Dead. Uh, I can go on, but I won't. <laughs> I like buying TV shows at the same time I don't. It's a lot more of a commitment to keep buying TV shows. Seasons. Why well, only buy TV shows that I like already? Like that I know one day I might rewatch this and I'd like to own this in case it ever leaves streaming. Yeah, that seems to happen a lot. Like, I remember watching Buffy on Netflix. I don't, don't think it's on Netflix anymore. Nope, it's on Hulu now. Ah, Jesus. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that because I own all of Buffy and all of Angel. I can watch it whenever I want. Fair enough. Did they have, I didn't see if they got Blu-ray of that. I keep hoping to put a Blu-ray of Buffy one day. They won't because <laughs> they, <laughs> they did um, a widescreen version of it for streaming briefly. But on the sides is like boom mic guys and like people with coffee and like because it was filmed in uh, four four three aspect ratio. So on the sides is just you know the sides of the set. So they can't do that. God damn it! <laughs> well, they can. You can do four to three and still make it HD. You just make the part you're showing people. It's hilarious, though. I watched one of the episodes, and it's just, like, on the side, you can see, like, you know, the assistant director just, like, nodding and stuff like that. Like, it is so glaringly obvious. Like, it it turns the whole damn thing into a stage play. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. So, Evolution has an IMDb score of 6.1 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 43%. Not great. It was a minor hit. Grossing $98 million on an $80 million budget. So not a big success. It, it spawned a short-lived animated series spinoff called Alienators. Evolution continues. But beyond that, no one really talks about this movie anymore. Except me. Constantly. <laughs> yeah, because you have an unnatural fear that we're going to go all into. Damn straight. Let's find out. So let's talk about this movie. Some highlights and stuff we like. Um, the first thing that, that j- jumps out at me is the, uh, the music. Most of the film's score is one 
country song called Any Way the Main Thing Is by Patty Larkin. It's the opening credits song. But, that, you know, that weird, like, you know, southern guitar. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's this song. Like, and it it's so eerie. <laughs> it's I don't know if that's just me, but, like, you feel like something's going to happen with this song. Like, the way it pans over the town, and you're like, this is, this is not going to end well. It's a great choice. I don't know why they did, you know, most of the score is a little adventurous, but that song keeps popping back up in relation to the aliens. It, yeah, it's really, like I said, like, you can tell they didn't fully abandon the horror aspect. They, there's certain, like, choices with the music and with how these creatures are, and obviously a thing we'll get to eventually. Uh, where they just were like, we're going to keep doing horror, you know, this is a comedy. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you liked the uh, the opening with Sean William Scott and the <laughs> the, the, the uh, mannequin. Yeah, that that I don't know. I was laughing. Look, Sean William Scott just makes me laugh in general anytime I see him. So when that scene popped up, and he's just like, cause I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? And he's just running, and he puts it on fire. He's like, we're going to save her. She's going to make it. And he's doing it all by himself. Yeah, that, that's an awesome scene. Really plays to his comedic talents. Despite all the warnings, she was smoking in bed, fell asleep. Bad move. <laughs> just, he's in his own little world. It's, it's funny. And I love that the meteor just like, you know, blasts his car into the sky. And he's just like, <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> his reaction's exactly what I, mine would be like, did that just happen? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you know, if there's one complaint I have, I yep. need more Sean William Scott in this movie. <laughs> well, I like how he eventually just ends up like being their third guy. Like he's not a professor. He's like, you know, he's not even a. He, he can't be a firefighter. Firefighter because he fucked up. Oh, and, that, uh, that scene is great too. Oh, <laughs> the goddamn it! <laughs> but yeah, he just ends up like being part of their gang. And I love when they're introducing themselves to the governor, and they're like scientists and he's just like took some chemistry in high school <laughs> and nobody says anything <laughs> yeah that's who this guy is <laughs> i think my favorite part with them though well besides what i'm seeing is when they're in the mall <laughs> <laughs> he has to see <laughs> well that like the whole time where he's going like call, call, and they're all just like stop it <laughs> he just keeps doing that <laughs> Um, yeah, he's fantastic in this. <laughs> um, I like when we meet um, Duchovny. I think it's hilarious that Duchovny left the X-Files because he didn't want to be associated with just that role. He didn't want to be pigeonholed as the alien guy. So he started to do a film career and he immediately does a movie about aliens. <laughs> like, dude, come on. <laughs> he's not an FBI agent this time. No, he's ex-military. <laughs> Still in the same circles. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'll give him credit, though. Like I said, I love it when he does comedy, because admittedly, with Duchovny, he's a very try actor with his delivery. He doesn't use a lot of emotion, which works really well in the X-Files. Works great in that show. Yeah. But he still applies that to comedy, and somehow it fucking works. I don't know if it's like his timing or stuff, but that 
delivery works really well when he tries to do comedy. There was a there's a scene in the X-Files where he did lose his shit momentarily that I always think about. It was an alien episode. Um, Mulder was trying to convince a room full of like, like a tribunal or something that UFOs are real and they're responsible for what's going on right now. And they just start like, you know, as soon as he brings it up, they just start grumbling and they're like, oh, that's impossible. No facts. And Mulder just has had enough. And he stands up and is like, why is this so hard to believe? I have everything I need right here. I've seen it. You've seen it. We all know what's going on. Why do you keep doing this to me? <laughs> I oh, love so remember, much. Yeah. I remember that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was actually, yeah. I remember watching going, oh, hey. About damn time. Finally, he's freaking out. <sighs> Good. He did that to Scully a couple times when she would be like, well, it's probably this like very rare skin disease that nobody has ever had that does not transmit that fast. And Mulder's just like, oh, really? Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, but in this movie, he's he's pretty open to anything, and uh, I love that he's the guy who discovers aliens. Uh, there's that bit with uh, Ethan Supley and like his little brother, the whole like C minus me too that guy, and <laughs> that scene always makes me laugh. <laughs> and God, and I'll tell you the paragraph because. God, I memorized it. Cells are bad. <laughs> just way to call them out. But even they're just like, we passed. Woo. <laughs> Congratulations, you all got ace, but we we got we didn't get ace. Yeah. Yep, I couldn't bring myself to give you ace after reading your paragraph. <laughs> they um I love it. They end up saving the world because they you know pay such close attention to their shampoo. <laughs> I like when that scene happens and they say that and I was just just crying goes, how did you know that? My favorite part in that scene is when they're like, we got to get selenium, 500 gallons. How are we going to do that? And they're just both like, no problem. We can get that. With with no explanation, they're just like, we got this. And they don't say anything. (laughs) They're just like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Love that he gave them A's at the end. The movie's like, you know what? You guys get A's for this. I have, you know, I'm planning on, I'm currently studying to be a college history professor. And I can tell you one thing, if I end up in a position where I have to save the world and these two idiots in my class help me with that, I will for sure give them A's. (laughs) (laughs) It's worth it. (laughs) Oh, man. Have you seen Ethan Supley lately? Uh, No, not since the early 2000s stuff he did. He lost like four or 500 pounds. He is jacked. Really? Yeah, look him up. He he was he lost so much weight. He's been working out. He looks like a fucking strong man now. It's like, dude, I remember him from this movie and uh the Ashton Kutcher one, Butterfly Effect. Yeah. He like somewhere around like mid 2000s he hit like 500 pounds and he was like I need to do something or I'm going to die. And he just has been working out ever since and the guy looks fucking cut. Like it's awesome. Damn, is he still acting and stuff? I don't know. I think this has been, I think his health has been his main focus, but, you know, maybe. Well, if he's in that kind of shape, I'm sure they'll be busting his door for some action B-roll. Yeah. Do you notice that in the scene with the flatworms, uh, when they go into the cave, one of those kids is John Cho? No, I didn't. Yeah, he's an uncredited extra. He doesn't have any lines or anything, but <laughs> he's just there. 
All right, nice. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, so one thing I do want to talk a bit about, the CGI is pretty good for 2001. Uh, I don't know if it was like partly, you know, partially practical effects or something, but I think it still holds up. Looks pretty good. Yeah, it honestly, like, it holds up. There's like maybe like, I think it's because it goes cartoony. Like they're really kind of cartoony with these mo- minus obviously the monsters we're talking about in depth, but for the most part, these monsters are real cartoony looking, and it kind of helps the CGI not age badly. I think. I agree. You know, I think they were going for maybe a franchise like potential here, trying to maybe, you know, bring some kids into it. But I think the innuendo and the admittedly freaky roles, freaky scenes at times just didn't, you know, didn't work. Yeah. God, I thought I really am not trying to sound like a prude, but I remember just watching that one. I know, I know animated films put this in every so often. We know Disney's been famous for sliding things in their animated films, but this one was just like, Throughout between like the jokes about Orlando Jones uh, presumably sleeping with his students and the complete like as soon as Julianne Moore comes to the picture and she falls to the ground, they're just looking at her and it's just like very lingering on her. And I'm like, okay, kids are watching this. Well, the whole scene at the diner where he runs in or Duchovny runs into his ex and is like, hey, I want those shirts back. And she's like, well, why don't I just give you the shirt? Like starts opening her shirt. <laughs> There's no way that he meant for kids to see this. I still want my shirt back. I there's an there's an alternate um, opening where she breaks up with him and like leaves with his shirts. Like that happened two days prior to this, so that's why that scene's in there and it's still kind of bitter. Uh, okay. I Out saw, of context, it's just weird. Yeah, I thought it was a funny scene because it's there were several minutes. They're like, oh, put quick scene for her. Um, one of my favorite parts. And um, you, I used to quote this with uh, with Jacob. Remember him from high school? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the scene where they go to talk to General Woodman and they introduce themselves and <laughs> Woodman accidentally calls Harry Mr. Black. <laughs> and he's just like, it's Block. And just looks at Ira like, really? <laughs> oh, it's great. It's such a great moment. <laughs> I think one of my favorite scenes that had me dying was when uh, they had to take uh, Orlando Jones' character to the emergency room. There's always <laughs> time for lubricant, that, that scene. Yeah. You know, we, got, we don't have time for lubricant. There's always time for lubricant. <laughs> and then David Duchovny just breathes, stay calm. It's, it's, it's in there, really. <laughs> Well, does he look? He turns to him and goes like, "You should have seen the size of that thing inside." He was like, "This, you took it like a man." <laughs> oh my god! My favorite bit there is when um, when they roll him in, and Ira just goes like, "Cut him open! We got to get this thing." And he goes, "Cut me open! There goes your Christmas gift, Judas!" And like tries to strangle him. <laughs> that whole scene is funny as hell. Yeah, that scene. Oh, that scene was great. You can, like, I'll give them credit. Like, those two really sell being good friends extremely well. Yeah, I bought it, for sure. (laughs) Uh, And the whole rest of the movie, his ass hurts. (laughs) 
And then at the end, he gets his, he goes up the alien's ass. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> you, like, what does he say? Like, you won't believe what I've seen in there. Oh my God. Uh, I think my favorite scene is the alien bird at the mall. Like, that whole thing is, is really, is done really well. Yeah. Yeah. That part is done really well between like the little moment that uh, whoever was cha- changing. Yeah, the, the shoplifter. Yeah, and then they, they keep knocking. Just a minute. Opens and it's, the, it's like something out of like Jurassic Park or something. It just opens and there's this fucking humongous bird staring at her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> and like, yeah, like I said, Sean Graham Scott fucking singing to get its attention. <laughs> it's uh, so great. I don't think this movie gets enough credit for creature design, uh, production design. Like all the creatures are really creative. Uh, they're really neat. And I'm not going to lie. I have explored the monkey's origins thoroughly over my life. And I found out you can buy a replica of that costume for 400 bucks. Really? Yes. And I feel like I shouldn't have told you that. Oh, you sure enough. <laughs> I got so much money to burn. <laughs> are you going to blow 400 bucks just to give me a heart attack? Yes. <laughs> I'll put it on the credit card paid off over time. It's fine. You know what's really fucked up? A lot of most of my friends who I've told that have immediately said, Oh, I'm gonna buy that and scare you. It's not funny. This is a deep-seated trauma to me, man. One day you're gonna get the text of like, hey, okay, I'm ready to go. And I'm gonna just be in the monkey suit, just clicking on here. And just one of two things is gonna happen. A I'm going to immediately have a heart attack and end up in the hospital or B I'm going to blow your brains out. <laughs> Cause I'm going to see that thing and be like, ah, and kill you immediately. <laughs> and I think it'll hold up in court. I think I'll, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> God, I'm looking that up when this is over. It's weird. It's yeah. I don't know why, like who's selling it. I mean, admittedly this was like 10 years ago, so it might not still be there. <sighs> It might be less money. Oh God! If I if I was if I were to buy that, I would buy it so I could burn it. <laughs> I don't know, some cathartic. <laughs> oh God! I'm so so looking this up on Amazon or somewhere. So I'm gonna end with the monkey because obviously we've been building up to that. Let's talk about Dan Aykroyd as the governor. Oh, yeah. I was like, I remember someone was like, oh, shit, he's in this? He and Ivan Reitman are tight. And uh, it was just great to see. I love he's like, why has nobody told me, like, why was I not informed there are goddamn aliens crawling over my state? Like, he's just so angry the whole time. He's great. I love Dan Aykroyd. I I like him when he's not going on his crazy conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. You know, he's, that's a whole can of beans. Not beans, worms. And, uh, <laughs> but he's just, I heard him like say, like, oh, I was stalked by the men in black. And like, whew, okay. <laughs> have you ever but, seen a commercial for his, uh, have you seen the commercial he does for his uh, fucking skull vodka, whatever the hell it's called? Like the whole, like, di- like poured through diamonds to, or something like that. Yeah, that's some horse mm-hmm. It's a brilliant commercial to laugh at. He said one of the craziest things I've ever heard a human being say when he did a Fox News interview. He said, quote, I don't think we'll ever be visited by aliens in our lifetime, especially not after 9-11. I'm like, 
what the hell does that even mean? <laughs> that is some conspiracy theorist, tinfoil hat, wackadoodle crazy shit. <laughs> all right, all right, Danny boy. <laughs> but when he gets, you know, when he's in a movie, dude's hilarious consistently. Oh, yeah. No, consistently, he makes me laugh every time I see him. Yeah, he's awesome. In a movie. Yes. Uh, laugh for a different reason outside the movies. You know he's got Tourette's? I did not know that. He takes medication for it. When he did gross point blank, he did not take his medication. That's why that character is so damn crazy. Because he's just like, ah, popcorn, saying crazy shit because he's off his meds. <laughs> Jesus. That's a good movie. Um. Do you think that the uh, the revelation that they've come to that selenium is the way to kill these things? Do you think that's a giant out of left field implausible reach? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> but the way they come to it, like you move the same way down on the periodic table, like periodic table, like that's an arbitrary order. <laughs> like that selenium and arsenic could have been swapped if the guys were just thinking differently at the time like yeah it it's it definitely probably was like hey let's just go with this because we want to keep the movie going like they didn't want to sacrifice the because the movie moves at a pretty brisk pace Mm -hmm. and uh it seemed like that was just like to do that so it doesn't stop the flow like yeah just seems like they wrote themselves into a corner and were like we got to come up with something yeah Apparently, someone in the crew really likes heads and shoulders, so they were like, ah, there you go. <laughs> that was so weird. The whole head and shoulders uh, commercial this movie turns into. <laughs> Which, okay, that, that periodic table scene, again, another moment where the movie pauses for, like, a sexual humor joke. Because they were like, quick, take off your shirt, and then the guys, oh, yeah, we're okay with this. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> I know it's truly in more when she's, like, in her 20s, but let's just... Everyone calm down. He was not in her 20s. He was like at least 30s, 30s, whatever. Anyway, young Julianne Moore. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> um, you. Th- I wonder if... Uh, I, th- I think about this a lot because I've been thinking about this movie just randomly throughout my life because it's clearly had an impact on me as a human being. And um, they... Woodman uh, bombs the cave with napalm, you know, accelerates growth, turns it in, turns him into this one big ass worm. If he hadn't done that, if he had just let this run its course, I think the monkeys were going to evolve into something humanoid, something kind of like us. Yeah, that's what it felt like it was going through the the human evolution process is what it felt like with this. Like they were it was quickly evolving to potentially mimic. Which you can probably tell they were probably thinking if this is successful and we can do a sequel, we can explore more. Um, the idea of like maybe this is some kind of species that likes to mimic its host planet. Ooh, that would explain monkeys. Very interesting. I like that. Um, you know, there's a deleted scene, uh, alternate ending, where um, Julianne Moore gives birth to an alien baby. Would, doesn't really make a lot of sense. But um, maybe, you know, those monkeys were shapeshifters. Maybe Ira didn't make it out of that cave. Maybe Mulder needs to stop having alien babies. He really does. That dude gets, yeah, that dude gets cucked by aliens more than anybody in movies ever. Like, that's crazy. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, uh, if if you want to be that guy, right? The actually during that scene, napalm when they're all in there, they would have been dead. They well, would not. Yeah, they would not have gone out of the damn cave in time. Napalm is not just random fire spurts. Like that is, you know, liquid fire. Yeah. They're gonna. They're dead. <laughs> and it's not slow like that where it's like, all right, we'll give you time to get out. It's it fucking goes. It's there. Although you could argue that the reason they survived is because the alien worm smothered the flames. Uh, true. So actually, that's what's that's why they got out. Did you just actually my actually? I did. So Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um the jumbo enema <laughs> going up the alien ass to save mankind. You think that was a bit much, especially the giant fart? You know what? At that point, maybe. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But at that point, the movie was just like constant sexual humor and your nose and jokes. I was like, oh, okay. Right up what it's already been doing. Yeah, I like to think that the governor is like Ray after the Ghostbusters broke up and he moved to Arizona and ran for governor. <laughs> That's why he was mad. It wasn't ghost. It was aliens. Yeah, it's not his area of expertise. It's why he wasn't, you know, helping out. He's a parapsychologist. He's not a biologist. <laughs> I know too much about the Ghostbusters. <laughs> oh boy. So here we are. The moment I've all been waiting for. And you, but here we are. The reason this movie has lasted with me so long and really just been in my head. I saw this movie in 2001 at six years old at the movies with my mom. There was this local theater near our house. We called it the dollar 50 theater. I don't know if it was really a dollar 50. That's remarkable, but it was cheap movie tickets and they would play stuff that had been out for a long time. And we would go to the movies all the time because it was fun. It was cheap. And you know, at the time, you know, six years old, my mom already knew I was going to be a movie buff. So we went to see Evolution, you know, t- harmless, funny sci-fi comedy directed by the Ghostbusters guy. I'm sitting through it the whole time. I'm laughing. I'm thinking this is fun. And then the creature destroys camera four. And this whole movie changes. And the most evil, frightening, nightmarish, face I've ever seen in my life appears on the big screen in front of six-year-old little innocent me. And I freeze because I don't know how to process this. I've never seen anything that scary in my life. So I have a like, I freeze, I can't breathe a little bit and I'm just like, I don't know how to react. It destroys the camera and there's that, you know, it tricks him with the elevator and uh, it two of them leap out of the cave and like start attacking people as soon as that thing leapt out and started attacking people and roared i lost my shit i started screaming i think i ran to the exit i'm not that's a little fuzzy to me but i remember my mom getting up taking me out to the car and being like it's okay it's just a movie what are you all right what happened and i was just like ah like incoherently sobbing at this thing, like this thing jump-started my memory as a human being. It's it's one of my earliest memories and it fucked me up. I couldn't, 
watch this movie for years. If I was watching it, I had to watch, like I had to cover my eyes during that scene. It's something about that face. It's the pupilless, weirdly shaped eyes. It's the giant teeth. It's the lack of a nose. It's the weird gang, like jangly man arms. It's, it's a nightmare. Like, how are people not talking about this? Like, how am I alone in this? This thing is fucking scary. Thoughts? Well, I, I can see as a kid, as a young six-year-old Connor, where you would get scared by that. Because it is like it like this movie is a comedy pretty much throughout the entire runtime, and then it gets to that scene, and all of a sudden becomes horror for like five minutes. Yeah, and even I, when I was watching, I was like, "When did this become scary?" It was not even like a quippy joke said during the whole scene. It's just like straight up horror. Then they go away, and it's back to comedy. It's a really weird scene in that regard. It's like okay, um, I can see as a kid. Well, this would like scare the shit out of someone with those like monkeys. Yeah. Um, it may have not been the same for me because my scare factor movie was Child's Play at like the age of five. Okay. So I got scared shitless by that movie, which coincidentally is now a movie I own and have watched repeatedly. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, watching it as an adult now, I'm just like, okay, they're monkeys. Yeah, of course. You know, now if I if I had watched this movie for the first time today, it's gonna look weird, but it's not. I'm not gonna, you know, nothing's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. But six years old, unprepared, not having anything to base it on, I'd never seen a horror movie. Like this was fresh to me. Like I'd never seen that, anything that scary. I had nothing to compare it to. So this was my base. Okay. And, yeah. See, that makes more sense. Did you before this ever see like a, a, an episode of Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of Dark or anything? I honestly don't remember. Six. Like, I think like I'd seen Hocus Pocus, Beetlejuice. Uh... Okay. Then yeah, I can see where if like you haven't really watched. Because I remember as a kid, my mom would read Goosebumps to me. Mm-hmm. And I would watch the TV show along with Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, I used to sneak Tells from the Crypt. Um, when they would watch it, which that didn't last long because I got scared shitless by an episode and wouldn't admit to where I got scared to. And then I couldn't watch Are You Afraid of Dark, which in hindsight was a dumb move on my part. But here I am. Uh, I can see where like, yeah, if you don't have any basis, right? If there's no basis in other shit you've watched horror, especially as a kid, like no other gateway horror. Yeah, it was like on my end. I, I was watching Jurassic Park or Tremors was not a big one I watched as a kid. Watched the yeah. shit out of Tremors. Um, and you go into this with that, and again, like I said, you're watching it at first as a comedy, and then it just takes this weird fucking turn that you're not expecting to horror. Yeah, I can see what that would scare you shitless as a yeah. kid at least. Thank you. Finally, somebody who understands. Yeah, it's you know a lot of people think you know it's a movie I watched last week, and I. Now I have nightmares. No, this was, you know, six years old, unprepared, nothing to base it on. Living nightmare in my head now forever. <laughs> like if I die and go to hell, it's me in a room with this fucker for the rest of time. <laughs> so I, so I'm, I try to be a good person. 
but um like i used to have nightmares about this thing like i stumbled onto it on tv once i think i told that story um and there was one day like for the longest time i would watch this movie and then just it became routine turn around when the bunkie shows up and don't watch don't see it and uh eventually i was watching with my younger cousins uh caden and rowan and they were like what are you doing and i'm like well it's scary i don't want to watch that and he's like that that's not scary and i'm like stop it that's scary to me and they're like look at it and i'm like no no i'm not gonna look at it and eventually they're like do it come on man do it and eventually i was like Ugh. And i opened one eye and i'm like i had a like a rush of like Ugh. but then i calmed down i was like okay okay and since then i can handle it is this was traumatic i don't think i'm am i am i expressing that correctly like this changed me as a human being seeing this fucker like my I, parents still talk about it constantly about how i i can tell it's traumatic i'm just it's kind of funny to listen to but that's not the point <laughs> No, I, I get that for a long time when people would ask me, like, what's a movie that really scared you? And I would tell people, like, Child's Play. Like, one of my earliest fucking films that scared the shit out of me. Child's Play. And people were like, really, that movie? And I have to tell them the damn story. I'm like, well, I saw it when I was five, because it was on TV. My dad was like, hey, it's edited. You want to watch this movie? Because it's on TV. I was like, oh, yeah, Dad. Let's watch a movie together. Yeah. And then I spent the whole movie hiding behind him, scared shitless. And had a nightmare of Chucky. And I was also hopping over door frames like a fucking idiot. Because of the scene with Chucky sticks his foot out. Yeah, I, I was hopping over door frames in my household for months. So I I get it. Everyone gets scared by something different when you're a kid and you're first experiencing horror. Yep. But unfortunately, apparently, usually it's something that people know. And this is a movie that came and went. So for most people, it's just like really the monkeys are what scared you. Yeah. Well, then I have to show them a picture. And a lot of the time they're like, oh, damn. <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, fuck you. But um, like it happened to a lot, like a lot of my family members have had these moments. Like my mom, for her, it was Twilight Zone, the movie. When she, oh, when you want to see something scary? Yes. I think she was nine when that came out. And that was so out of the blue because it's, you know, the, the beginning of the movie is kind of funny. It's, you know, two guys known for comedy. Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks just chatting it up about old TV shows. And then all of a sudden, you know, hey, pull over. You want to see something scary? Come on, pull over. And he's like, hold up. And turns into a fucking monster and eats him. <laughs> like, I get that would, you know, wreck you as a child. I saw that for the first time when I was like 15. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> so I get it. That and the, uh, the gremlin at the end with John Lithgow. That, that freaked her out too. Um, my Aunt Amy, for her, it was The Wizard of Oz. It was the Wicked Witch. Really? Also, also Animal from the Muppets. Okay. Oh, no. Okay, there's a movie much less well-known that also got me as a kid on a primal level that no one fucking agrees with me with. Because I always watch the goddamn movie. Willow. Really? Fuck those monsters at the end. Fuck. I haven't watched it since I was a kid. We might have to have, actually have a therapy episode on that. Because I haven't watched the movie since I was a kid. My mom loved it, had it on VHS. She was like, you know, it's like PG or some shit like that. She was like, hey, let's watch it. You'll like it. I remember as a kid liking it, and then those fucking monsters came up, and I ran 
scared shitless, and she was like, okay, yes, we're never watching that again. And she literally would tip after that viewing, have not seen it since. Wow. And you're giving me shit. <laughs> You've had a similar situation this whole time. Yeah, we're doing Willow. Damn. <laughs> I've never seen Willow. I've, I was going to watch it when we did Leprechaun, but time got away from me. Look, honestly, I can assume it scared me so much. I blocked the memory out, and I'm just never remembering that. But yeah, I haven't seen that since those, oh, those fucking monsters. That's, uh. awesome. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, we'll have to face your fear at some point. Um, trying to remember who else. For my uncle, it was uh, like, I remember them telling me it was a commercial for this toy that was like a weird snake vacuum thing or something. And it scared the living hell out of him. Uh, for my grandma, it was House of Wax, the original. Oh, okay. You saw that when it came out in 1953, has not watched a horror movie all the way through since. Yeah, she watched okay. part of Alien, couldn't handle it, and uh, ended up in a theater uh, showing 1408 because my uncle said that it wasn't that scary and she might enjoy it. That movie is a scary ghost movie. That's a legit, yeah. And my That's grandma, like, who can't handle horror in that theater, I can't imagine how freaked out she was. <laughs> she brings that up all the time. God. You know those two Twilight Zone episodes that scared the shit out of me as a kid? I still watch them, but they, as a kid, scared the shit out of me. Was one of them Talking Tina? Yes. Yep. Talking Tina was one. That was with the, the uh, wax figures that the chick had in her basement. I remember his- that one. Yeah, I remember the whole episode was fine, and then it got to the end, and they all come to life and freaked me the fuck out as a kid. It's weird how we kind of stumble into those moments, you know? Yeah. Oh, and best part is my mom thought it was hilarious. My mom had no soul, apparently. In between that and talking Tina, she'd go and be like, hi, I'm talking Tina. I was like, stop it, mom. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, I, I will I'll randomly go up to my mom and go, hey, you want to see something really scary? And she'd be like, you stop that right now. She does not like that. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you see it as a kid and it stays with you. It's in your development. It changes you. It kind of forces you to kind of grow up a little. Mm. And it's weird. You know, I, I'll always have a, a weird thing about oddly misshapen, discolored monkeys. <laughs> like I saw Congo. That gave me a little bit of a chill. <laughs> oh boy, it's it's crazy. Surprised they're able to make it through Planet of the Apes. Well, they're just monkeys. They're not like you know pupilless, weird-looking monkeys. They're just monkey people. I can deal with that. Oh, yeah. okay. I don't have an issue with King Kong. Oh, so you better not have an issue with King Kong because uh, we're both seeing Godzilla versus Kong. Very excited for that. Um, I will say though, I did see King Kong when I was a kid in the movies, and the scene where they're all in the bug pit freaked me the hell out. That's a generally freaky scene. Yeah, when the the slug man, the slug thing eats Andy Circus's head, I was cowering. Yeah, that was that was a nightmare. <laughs> That's a legitimately super creepy scene. Yeah. A year after Evolution, my mom and dad took me to see Signs. Oh, the fucking videotape scene. Yep, happened again. Oh. Screamed, ran. My dad had to take me to the bathroom and be like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> now, evolution, they were, I, I, my mom could not have been prepared for. 
Signs was billed as a horror movie by the guy who did The Sixth Sense. That was on them. Yeah. I remember, like, you know what's funny? Unlike a lot of people, that scene I remember when I was a kid, but I remember when I watched Sixth Sense for the first time. I think, like, my Anderson had on VHS and I watched it. And that one scared the living shit out of me as a kid. Like, there are certain scenes in that movie. I don't care how much of a trauma it can be. God damn. Like, the scene when he runs into, like, the tent and the vomit comes out of her mouth. Yeah, the dude is like, hey, you want to come play? And it's not even like the dude's trying to be like a creepy ghost, but he turns around the fucking gunshot moon. And all the, I used to not be able to like be in a kitchen alone for a while because that one scene when it reveals what's happening and she's like yelling at him. Like, yeah, that movie, dear God. I remember as a kid, there was like, this is supposed to be a trauma. It has Bruce Willis. What's going on? When I was a kid, it was the the scene with the with the little girl vomiting. That I had to be like, "Mom, can I sleep in your bed?" Like that was one of those. And also the scene where Cole gets locked in the room. Yes. Gosh, that was freaky as hell, man. You don't see anything; you just hear it, and it's fucking creepy. But now, like I watched it recently. I did. Uh, Julie and I did an episode, and the ending of the Sixth Sense makes me cry. Like, it's so emotional. So it's kind of cool how we, you know, we can kind of chart how we change as people using the movies we watch. Mm-hmm. And I always, I've, I've always thought that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, and that movie in particular, I think what makes it work is that you can scare the living shit out of you one second and then damn near make you cry the next. Like, it does, he, I don't know, you can see why Shyamalan should have had a better career post six cents um, with that movie. Cause it, it's a fucking, it's a masterclass in filmmaking. It is. It is. A, yeah. It's great. It's hard to believe that the guy who made the six cents and the guy who made the last airbender is the same person. Oh God. <laughs> and even, I, even signs is pushing it for me. Cause honestly, I'm one of the few people that I find that so overrated. Fair enough. I think it's because of the twist. I think it has every, it has everything to do with the twist. The twist is underwhelming as hell, but everything leading up to that, I think is one of the most brilliant alien invasion movies I've ever seen. It's done so perfectly. The news, reco- you know, the news, the, the scene where Mel Gibson looks out the window and the damn thing's standing on his barn. Like, the music, that movie is eerie. Yeah, like, yeah, everything before that twist is great. And I think because that was the movie when it, I started losing faith in Shailen. I was like, ah, oh, shit, he... For a while, he was making like good movies, but then the twist ruined it. And I was like, not a good movie, but then the twist ruined it. And then it eventually just became like not a good movie at all. He lost me with Last Airbender. Admittedly, I kind of like Lady in the Water. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't even bother try to watch that one. And I haven't seen The Happening because I know it's probably going to be terrible. But Last Airbender was dog shit. And after that, I gave up on him until The Visit. And that was okay. And then Split was fantastic. Yeah, I I personally really like to visit. I thought it was creepy as shit. Yeah, uh, split. Yeah, I like a lot. Glass. It was okay. I don't think he stuck the landing too much, but I still enjoyed it overall. Same. You looking forward to old? Yeah, I am. Um, honestly, like since the visit, I've been more excited for Shyamalan's film, so I'm looking forward to old. I'm kind of curious. I think the plot is intriguing, so I'm curious on it. Have you checked out that series he has on Apple? I think the servant is that what it's called? Yeah, servant. Uh, I haven't. I don't have Apple. I've already like I got back from deployment and got 
HBO Max and Paramount Plus, and I'm not getting Apple Plus. Fair enough. I got Apple because I got to keep up with the sneak preview, and there are new movies on Apple, so I have Apple. Oh, God damn. Okay. I'm going to have to reconsider. It's it's fine. You don't need you, oh. so far. Oh. Like there's I've they've done like four major movies and two of them have been good. Uh, On the Rocks was pretty good. The Banker was great. Greyhound was overrated, and Cherry sucked. All right, I'll just stick with my HBO Max Paramount Plus accounts. Yep, you do that. So one thing, um, when I did see Evolution at the movies, obviously. I did not go back in for the rest of the movie. We went home. But, well, I yeah. thought that was going to be a twist and you finished that movie. I did years later, yes. And years later, what I did not know is that motherfucker comes back. <laughs> I was not ready for that. <laughs> yeah, randomly at the end when they're going to you know, shampoo the aliens, that asshole creeps back from behind a rock and... Jesus Christ. They bet so much on that monkey. Yeah. So that was, again, like just, ah, traumatized. But um, <laughs> I think because of that, because I, you know, the bar was set ridiculously high for me as a child in my own head, very few films since then have measured up in terms of horror. Like horror has become incredibly hard to scare me specifically because of that monkey. Well, I think with horror, what, the one thing that kind of sucks, right, is the older you get when you're a horror fan, you get more jaded because you've seen so many. Yeah. So it's hard to get scared because there's movies that I watched as a kid. I got scared numerous times as a kid with horror movies or TV shows or something. And now there might, you know, there might be some scenes that like do get on my skin really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gets to the point where like when I remember when the first Conjuring was coming out and it was being both the scariest film ever. I hate when that yeah, and I hate that they did that because I watched it and I was like, look, this is a really good movie. I'm not going to take that away from it. Yeah. But I'm not scared. Like, there's the only scene in that entire movie that actually, like, made me go, oh, fuck, was when the dude's inspecting because he sees someone or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he sees the chicken, I think, the laundry room. And he's getting ready to leave. And she just pops out of the side. And claps or whatever, and then disappears. And fucking, I remember that scene didn't go. Oh fuck! I was like, Jesus. To me, like, there's a certain. I mean, I've been, I've had movies where I'm like, whoa, you know, when I jump and I get a little like, oh, that was creepy. Yeah. There's a certain feeling that I've been chasing since Evolution and Signs that consumes my entire body, where I'm just like frozen, and I feel just like a you know, pins and needles across the whole body. I can't move. And I am just focused on pure fear. Mm. And that has happened twice in the past few years. Actually, not three times. Uh, the first time was The Witch. Oh, good one, yeah. That one got under my skin big time. The second time was Hereditary. Another good one, yeah. And the third time caught me by surprise. It was 2020's Anything for Jackson. The scene with the eight-foot-tall trick-or-treater. That I had to turn on the light, re- you know, get my sh- you know shit together, and just be like, "It's a movie. It's just a movie. You're fine. You're fine." I I've I rarely have to do that. So when I do have to do that, 
to me, it's like, you know, it's a high. You feel like I have found something. Like, even if other people don't see it, I know no one's ever going to back me up on the monkey. I'm aware of that. To me, that is what fear looks like. And I am going to continue to find stuff that puts me in that mindset forever. It's a big part of why I started this podcast, to find these movies. Yeah, no, I, I'm agree. I'm constantly looking for that movie that does that to me. Um, is that movie on Shutter? Please tell me it's on Shutter or one of the streaming apps. It's a Shutter exclusive. Oh, fuck yeah, it's not going anywhere. Okay, I gotta check. I'll put it down in my notes. I got like 20,000 movies I've written down to watch. In case audience doesn't know, at this point, I was on deployment. Oh, they know. Okay. <laughs> I'm well aware of where you've been. Yeah, so I didn't even know about this movie, but it sounds like something I need to see. Because sure enough, thing after you told me about it, I saw it on some kind of rank list, or someone mentioned it, like, oh, it's the movie that had this really creepy scene. It was the same exact scene you mentioned. Yeah, that scene has become very famous. Um, Neat. So, yeah, I need to check that out. Um, I think for me, what I've to get that, what I've noticed is I've been having to look outside the movie realm of the genre. Um, I do a lot of. I know I showed you them, the Mr. Nightmare. Yes. Oh, yes. That's that I do. When I do those YouTubers and stuff like that, I get that feeling because those are you know supposed to be true stories obviously i know some people could probably i don't want to get into like questioning the validity of these stories but they're done on the basis of being true stories um so they those tend to get me um another big thing obviously is gaming um obviously besides movies i game um i'm like we all do and you know things like resident evil 7 right for example when i played that had me the whole time it's a fucking terrifying game um obviously i played outlast when that was like the big sensation so between those youtube videos and like gaming that's usually in more recent years when i tend to get that feeling more because you know on youtube it's supposed to be a real story but on the gaming side you're actively playing I'm not just sitting down watching it. I'm like, I, I'm in it. You know, I'm playing the, I'm doing the controls essentially. So yeah. I tend to get that level of fear there. I don't really game much. I, I, you know, I, I tend to gravitate more towards, you know, licensed stuff like Star Wars games, Marvel games, like stuff that I know I'm going to like, stuff that I am familiar with. Cause to me, gaming just, it's too much time. And if I don't like it, like, why am I here? Um, but a game that really did, like a horror game that got under my skin was Until Dawn. Oh, I love Until Dawn. That is one of the most creative gaming experiences I've ever had. And it's different every single time. That is really innovative. And that game is absolutely frightening. Oh, yeah. That is a legitimately creepy game. Yeah. Right? And what says that those developers have not been able to fucking match the quality since it came out which makes me really sad that is unfortunate because that thing (laughs) i think i I I still own that game yeah yep there it is yeah it's actually right underneath alien isolation resident evil 7 alien isolation was close that was creepy um i more just got frustrated with that game uh towards the end at first it was like creepy and then after i was like god damn it but it's satisfying to beat that game though Oh my God, yes. So satisfying. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think, yeah, like I said, like, and don't get me wrong, like, like I said, kind of like you, there have been movies where if there's a right, if they do the scene right, yeah, it absolutely gets under my skin. Hereditary, in which were also two movies that had scenes 
here and there that legitimately creeps me the fuck out. But yeah, I'm, unless I'm doing like really getting invested in like a horror game with those YouTubers, I don't really get that feeling like I used to when I was a kid or even like a teenager at times. Well, you know, as much as I do enjoy video games and I do enjoy TV shows, movies are my thing. That's my world. That's my big, you know, lot in life at this point. So that's where I'm always on the hunt. Mm. And, you know, we're 130 in on this podcast. Most of the films we've done have been horror movies. And, I found a couple that are decent, a lot that's forgettable, and I'm, you know, still looking. We got one coming up next week that I think is going to be, you know, a potential freaker. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. It, it should be. I think we'll have a lot of fun with that one. I think we will. Um, I've only got one filmgasm fact for today because it's bonkers. Uh, David Duchovny turned down a role in Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones to do this movie. Mm. He turned down a guaranteed moneymaker. Yeah. For evolution. For evolution. And you know what? I bet it was not a leading role. And that's why he didn't take it. God damn it. I'm trying to... I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through Attack of the Clones. I'm trying to think like who would they have wanted him to play crazy conspiracy theorists? (laughs) I'm thinking either Owen Lars or maybe possibly Django Fett. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, again, but how he delivers lines, he would have fit fine as one of those two characters. Yeah. Who the hell turns down Star Wars? And this was not when, you know, turning down Star Wars was cool. This was 2002 when Star Wars was back and everyone was pretty hopeful it was going to get better because Phantom Menace was a little rocky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, damn. David. There's just just certain franchises you don't turn down. You know, David Boreanaz turned down Batman Begins. He was, they wanted him to play Batman. Are you, are you serious? He yeah, he turned it down to do Bones. I mean, Admittedly, that was like a 12-season syndication deal that's probably made him millions. I was about to say, I mean, at least he actually won on that one. And he's not, I don't think he would have been a great Batman. No. Yeah, not for Nolan's universe. Uh, just weird, you know, like learning about huge opportunities actors turn down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't, Okay. I think the thing about, you know, Evolution and Willow and these movies that just, you know, get under our skin at an early age is you don't expect to be scared outside of horror. There are certain scenes that, you know, exist in regular, I don't want to say regular movies, but like, you know, typical movies. Horror's, you know, weird to some people. But you look at Wizard of Oz, you know, a lot of people claim that that movie has given birth to more nightmares than any film in history because of the Wicked Witch and the Flying Monkeys. And there's something to that, you know, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, that whole large Marge haunted truck thing. That's, that's fucking creepy and out of place. Yeah, uh, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the train, the tunnel. Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. The Chocolate Factory. Look, I've read the books and in the movies felt the need to switch the goddamn titles. 
I am literally sitting next to a giant ass Willy Wonka poster. You want to know what's really worse? I definitely, hey, hey, there it is. I have the movie right behind me. So do I over there. We're both sitting in front of our respective movie collections while we record this, by the way. But yeah, that's creepy as hell. You know, magical movie about a chocolate factory and all of a sudden we're in, you know, a, a bad acid trip for two minutes. Why? I don't know. You take that scene out of the movie, nothing changes. There's no reason for that to be there. But it's horrifying. I think what it speaks to is kind of like you said, right? Like as a kid, we're very we're simple-minded as kids, right? A horror movie, you know, going in is supposed to scare you. So you know that going in. And your parents can't teach you that. Is that like you like you really don't want to watch this because horror is not scary. So in your head, you're like, well, I can't watch the scary movie because it scares me. Yeah. You associate that as a kid. Yep. But then your parents, okay, the fantasy movie, the comedy, the children's movie, like they okay that because, hey, this is meant for families. Like a kid can watch this and out of the fucking blue, our trust gets betrayed, not by our parents because they didn't know, but by the movie. And it does this horrific scene and it just takes us by surprise and scares the shit out of us. It's Yeah, it's... I think it's very dishonest and it also kind of forces us as children to confront some shit. We're way too young to be confronting. <laughs> um, and you no, know, it is interesting. I, I, tr- I tried to uh, think back into how I ended up in horror and, you know, evolution and signs were, you know, definite, uh, you know, benchmarks. But I honestly think the more I think about it, I think it's the X-Files that, where I first stepped into horror. It was a combination of the X-Files and an American werewolf in London. That was one of the earliest horror films I saw. I remember seeing, I remember half closing my eyes when uh, Jack gets ripped open at the beginning of the movie. Uh, Because at that point, you know, it's kind of funny. You get a little warning, but then werewolf attack and his best friend is getting violently ripped apart. Yeah. I remember that 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 film was constantly on in my house as a kid because it was a favorite of the whole family. So somebody would randomly be watching it. And it's just, you know, it was baby steps. It was, you know, personal, like having to make personal uh, decisions. Like, do I want to be scared? Like, is this going to scare me? Uh, Blade was a big help. Uh, The Omen was the big one I didn't want to watch as a kid. Is I'd heard it was scary. My family said it was scary and I didn't want to be scared. And then I watched it when I was like 15, 14 and thought, this is really good. It's when I realized, you know, horror can be scary and well told at the same time. That horror is just like every other film genre that it, you know, strives for good character, good story, unforgettable plot. Like, it wants to stand out. And the way horror stands out is by being scary. Comedy stands out by being funny. Drama stands out by making you cry. They all have their thing. And horror is no different. And I I wish more people, you know, recognize that. Too many people shut horror down because they just see it as, like, schlock. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, they see it as schlock. Because, I mean, and don't get me wrong, there are schlocky horror films made. But the thing is, what... 
people also notice that when they do those types of movies, a lot of times they're meant to be that way. They're meant to be snarky. So they're entertaining because they're going for that. And um, but at the same time, when it comes to horror, you know, it bugs me when people like try to like you said, they make it seem like the trauma isn't that great because it's it's just meant to scare you. Do you know how incredibly hard it is to honestly scare people? Exactly. Like, the fact that like horror, these horror movies are going out of their way to do everything they can to scare you. And a lot of times, especially with these classics, they pull it off. To me, is almost more impressive than the trauma or the kick-ass action movie coming out. The only thing, I won't say it's more impressive than the comedy because it is really incredibly hard to make people laugh. But yeah, it's incredibly hard to get people scared. So it's like when a movie does it right, I, we should be looking at it much more fondly than we do. That's why I admire evolution so much because 20 years on this movie still has a, you know, it's something to me. It still makes me shiver. And that's, that's impressive to me. You know, I called it a worthy opponent to me. That's what this film is. This is the first time I was ever really, really scared. And that means a lot to me. No, no. And that's, that's honestly, I God, I, I really do need to rewatch Willow one day. Jesus, uh, yeah, no, and that's that. That's the good thing, though, is that you know, people can, you know, all joking aside, make fun of you for being scared about the blue weird-looking apes. But I mean, it's something that scared you as a kid to the point that it took you years to get over to finally sit through without closing your eyes, and that's impressive. And a movie that's not even horror, like it's meant to be a comedy. Well. It was meant to be a horror, then changed to a comedy. But it's a comedy, first and foremost, with this one horrific scene. And you know what? So what? It didn't work for the thousands of people that went to go see a theater. Who's watching it now? It worked for you. It's going to show you at six years old. So someone, you know, they may not know it, but hey, it, they accomplished what they set out to do for someone somewhere. <laughs> That's true. You know, I own a copy. I'm do- like, we're doing a podcast on it. I'm keeping this movie alive. I'm doing my part. <laughs> I'm hoping somebody listens to this and thinks like, I got to see this thing and goes out and watches this. That would be great. Oh yeah. Oh, those movies I have intensely on this podcast with hopes that people will watch it more. I give evolution an eight. It'll always hold a special place in my heart. It's the first movie scared the shit out of me. Plus it makes me laugh. What more could I ask for? Yeah. Agreed. I give it an eight. It's, I may have not been as committed to it as a kid, but you know, watching it now, it's it's really funny. I love the cast; they are are hilarious to me. So yeah, I like it. It's a fun movie. Yes, indeed. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, next week, I'm going to be reteaming with Josh Allred to dive into the rich world of Italian horror with the work of legendary horror filmmaker Lucio Fulci. Uh, when a young woman moves into a new apartment, she discovers the building was actually built on top of a gateway to hell. In what has been described as Fulci's masterpiece, next week's subject is the 1981 supernatural horror flick, The Beyond. Um, I haven't seen it yet. I'm very excited to dig into one of Italy's best horror directors. Have you seen The Beyond? Uh, Josh, don't kill me. Uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. join the club. We got jackets. Yeah, I've seen I have seen some of Fulci's other stuff thanks to thanks to Josh. Um, what I've seen of Fulci is really good. I think you'll like it. Um, he's cool because with that whole like Italian thing, they weren't as afraid with um, going with like just bonker, bonkers visuals. 
in your face score. Like they weren't scared to do that at all. Um, you know, I've seen some of Argento stuff and Bava um, and some of the other big guys. So I think we're a lot of fun with it. Um, yeah. I haven't done a lot of Italian horror. I watched blood and black lace in um, college. And then um, I'm a big fan of Suspiria, but beyond those, I really haven't stepped into, like, I haven't seen any Fulci. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, the, the Fulci he showed me was zombie. That's the one I hear like is a really good one. It's really good. I, I really liked it. Uh, zombie was good. I have seen the first demons one at the movie theater. That was really good. Really enjoyed that. Um, and then recently, thanks to Joe Bob, I've seen Argento's Deep Red, which was a very solid movie. Right on. Yeah, we, you know, thankfully we've got a, a you know, an outlet here to fully explore these films and challenge, our, challenge ourselves. And uh, I look forward to, you know, the next step of the journey. 130 in, here's to 130 more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, don't miss the Ten Commandments on Oscar Sunday. Godzilla versus Kong on Monday's sneak preview and whatever the giggle guys got for you on Friday. Until then, if you leave a highly successful syndicated alien related TV show with designs on a movie career that separates you from the show, maybe don't immediately do a movie about aliens. It's just my advice. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next Wednesday and keep watching movies. 